Hello. Hi. I, I really got you right mid-gulp. Uh, right mid-gulp of this sensible Howl's New York seltzer water. Yeah, don't pretend like you're not drinking with the other hand. Well, <laughs> the other hand is some sensible Sandpoint family vineyard Sauvignon Blanc. Stunning. Um, welcome to Teen Spirit. Welcome. I don't know why we, we can't start this podcast without describing to you what alcohol we're drinking, but here we are. I'm Bailey Bennett. I'm Grant Jacoby. And um, this is the podcast we talk about some films that mm-hmm. have may or may not shaped our youths and our <laughs> adulthoods. That's right. Um, and today... <laughs> and this is Criminal. <laughs> we're really freaking excited to talk about today's film. <laughs> we're thrilled. Um yeah. And you could it, almost say that we could scream about it. I think I'm going to need you to like take it down like a couple notches. I, you know what? <laughs> I will take that critique. Uh-huh. I will accept it. Mm-hmm. I will try to implement it. Okay. No promises. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we're talking about f- freaking Scream, you guys, which is a film that I, this, I don't know, this might be one of the, the movies that we love the most that we've talked about thus far. Probably like a, it's like your favorite movie, isn't it? <sighs> Mean One Girls. Of? Mean Girls was mm-hmm. a close. This is a mu- this is a very it, mutual love for us. Exactly. Um, like we we mentioned in, in in last week's episode, if you guys previously listened to our our other podcast, Resting Witch Face, we did do an episode on Scream. Uh, I guess at least a year and a half ago. Is that true? It feels longer than maybe that. longer than you that. We were living in that other apartment. True. Yeah, that we was really. Like, yeah. So we like. We talked through kind of the whole Scream franchise at the time, like a very much an overview. I think we were just kind of gushing about what we love about it. Talking Um, through the plots. Yeah. So we wanted to really um, dive in this week and kind of talk talk through the criteria that we normally talk about on this podcast. Um, Because, you know, no spoilers, but I do think this film holds up like pretty surprising, not even surprisingly, just holds up really well. It's a real gem. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to talk about your history with this movie? Ooh, I don't. Mm, I don't remember what specifically. I don't remember my. Fir- I don't remember my first time watching. I it. I do remember the first time watching it. It mm-hmm. definitely was in high school. Mm-hmm. I do remember seeing commercials for Scream on TV that scared me so much that I couldn't watch them. As okay. In my youth. Uh huh. But I do remember also. Riding my bike down to Blockbuster, mm-hmm. probably circa like 2008, mm-hmm. and renting it and watching it and being like, I've found my people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've found a film <laughs> that is so catered to me in yeah. every aspect. I feel, yeah, I feel similarly. Like, I, I don't remember my very first experience with this movie. I just, it's, I've just like seen it so many times at this point. I think I've, I've talked about before that like growing up, I was really not into scary movies at all like I was a real scaredy cat like I couldn't like my I I have a, a vivid memory of watching the movie Clue and like that being like an experience oh. of like a scary movie to me oh oh no <laughs> I know but but I also loved it and it is like a little spooky but it's I mean it's not anything I I get that I think I had a similar feeling mm-hmm. when I first watched that okay but yeah, so I think I came to this a little bit later in life, probably, I think, also in high school. Um, but this is my ideal 
type of horror movie. It's so perfect. <laughs> like, I think I like this. I think I like slashers in general, but this one is so fun for being, I mean, very gruesome in some ways, but. Well, it's gruesome. Hold on. Rewind. Mm-hmm. I also adore slashers. I think slashers are the best kind of horror films. I don't know why. I'm sure that there is something to talk about with my therapist about <laughs> why I like slasher movies so much, but mm-hmm. this really like checks all the boxes. Yeah. I mean, I'm all about a redemption arc. Like mm-hmm. all, all I want is like a final girl fucking fighting back and like, and like really fighting, really back. fighting back. And, and well, we have, I mean, there's tons to talk about with this film in terms of like horror movie tropes. And well, that's the whole point of the, the entire movie. Um, but I was talking to someone about this movie recently, actually, in because I I I recently watched Midsummer, and we mm. also saw Hereditary together, mm-hmm. and it's like like that type of Ari Aster horror. I'm finding is something I I don't like as much as really? I like a film like this because well okay. well I mean they're so. They're They're super different. different. They're super different. The only similarity is that they're both genres of horror movies. But, I mean, Ari Aster, I feel like, feels kind of like the future of of where that genre is going. There's a a bleakness to it. There's not, like, there's not a hero in his films. Like, there's, to me, not anything really fun about what's happening in those movies. And, like, if you really want to be, like, you want to leave the movie feeling, like, bad inside of you mm. because you were so like horrified at what you saw mm-hmm. definitely see those movies that is so correct i think also very indicative of where the horror genre is mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. which is that scream came as a critique of the slashers in the 80s mm-hmm. and whatnot in terms of like what the final girl should be mm-hmm. and like what that means but also like created a franchise right. surrounding that final girl, Sydney Prescott, who totally. is, I don't know if I want to say the best final girl because I love Laurie Strode. Right. Love Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. But like those two are like queen bees. Mm-hmm. You're totally right that nowadays we go for the bleakness. We go for that mm-hmm. last minute twist of the knife, mm-hmm. twist of the narrative that yeah. everything is hopeless. Right. Everyone dies. Right. You like, Good luck. <laughs> Whereas I think this movie actually has an incredible and extremely simple twist, mm-hmm. which we can get into. But let ah. me. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to go off on so many tangents. But to get us started. So um, as I kind of started doing last week, I want to yes. talk a little bit about like the reception of this movie and the creation of it when it came out. So the budget of this film, remember last week we talked about How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. The budget of that movie was $50 million. The budget of Scream was between 14 and 15 million. Wow. Which is crazy. And and like I guess like if you think about it, makes sense because like who in this movie was like a big name at the time? So I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. So Courtney Cox was mid-friends mm-hmm. and early-ish friends. Yeah. Yeah. And Nev Campbell was early-ish party of five. Mm-hmm. And Henry Winkler was <laughs> Old happy days. <laughs> Old and happy to be there. Um, yeah, that's oh, that's so crazy to me. Yeah, so they did it on a on a pretty low budget, which like I think is pretty emblematic of like the horror genre. Also, like, how much did Drew Barrymore get paid? 
I feel like she did this for nothing. I sw- I, I feel like she like did this because she thought it was fun. Well, as I'm sure we've discussed before, mm-hmm. that she was cast as Sydney. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Well, that's why I'm saying that I feel like oh, she okay. literally she was, was like, yeah, whatever, like pay for my gas money. And Well, she also is dead by, she's dead 13 minutes into the movie. So like she must have had one shooting day. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I, okay, I would have probably, to assume it was like. Okay, it's probably more than that. But like she yeah, has, yeah, yeah. it's very contained part yes. of the movie that she's in. So even if she was paid a lot, like she wasn't on set for all that long. She didn't have to interact with anyone. Really, anyone <laughs> like a stunt double? Yeah. Um, but okay, so the budget's fourteen to fifteen million. It ends up making a hundred and seventy-three million at the box office internationally, which is Jesus Christ, that's very awesome. good. And I was reading that. So this movie opened on December twentieth of nineteen ninety-six, which apparently was like people were like, "Why the fuck are you releasing this as it like as a Christmas release?" And I mean, the thinking, Christmas dreams come true truly. for me. But, like, the thinking behind it was, like, have there be, like, this alternative for, like, older teens and, like, younger adults to be able to go see something like this when they have the mm. time off, when everyone else is, like, going to see these family-friendly features. And at first, like, the opening weekend, to- it, it didn't work. It made, like, I mean, it made, like, $6 million this opening weekend or mm. something. And... But instead of then, like, continuing to decline, it starts to, like, climb from there. And then it ends up, like... Really? Yeah. So I've it, never heard of a film doing that. The, the, the one in recent memory that I can think of is um, The Greatest Showman, which is... Oh, really? It's crazy. It is one, it is one of the <laughs> crazier, like, theatrical release stories that has happened in recent memory. Mm-hmm. It's, like, that movie, and I think it had a lot to do with um, the popularity of the soundtrack, was, like, they spent a lot of money on that movie. It was, like, a big bet. The, those first couple of weekends was not performing as it needed to or as they wanted it to. And then it just kept building to the point where it was becoming it, like it climbed wow. its way like up to the top of the box office charts. And then it they kept it in theaters. It bopped its way to the top. It, it bopped its fucking way to the top. Ooh. And then they like kept it in theaters for a long time because it was performing. No shit. Wow. And like so a kind of similar thing happened with Scream. I think they ended up like re-releasing it in theaters hmm. that spring or something like that. I'm really kind of paraphrasing what I was reading about before. But all that to say, it makes 173 million off of a 14 million dollar budget. That's so ugh. very good. So um it did receive generally favorable reviews at the time. Um it's IMDb score currently is a 7.2 out of 10, which is, you know, reasonable. What I would, ex- it's it's exactly what I would expect from a movie that's, from a horror movie. I just don't think, like, a, a horror movie that came out in 1996, like, <laughs> just not getting the respect it deserves. Yeah, okay, yeah, um, I'll accept it. But also very interesting to note that on Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score and the audience score are exactly the same <gasps> at 79% which I think is hmm. kind of really telling because I, I do think it can often be the sign of like a not as good movie when the audience is like, oh, I love it. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. And the critics are like, this isn't well made. Yeah. Like this story is bad, like whatever it is. So I think like, you know, if it were released today, who's to say like what kind of reviews it would be getting. But I do think that, you know, it's, it's held up at a 79% for critics and audiences. I think that's pretty solid. Oh, totally. Um, 
no score would be high enough for me. Yeah, but... truly, I was going to say. <laughs> um, all right. I'm just going to keep talking for a little bit more. I'm going to do the summary, but I'll be kind of, I'll try to do this kind of quickly because I feel like a lot of people have seen this movie or I mean, we've just seen it enough times for everyone. Okay. Uh, so we open on Casey Becker, who's played by Drew Barrymore, who is a high school student who gets, uh, she's home alone at night and she gets a call from a mysterious stranger. Um, while it's playful at first, as the caller asks her about her favorite scary movie, she soon learns that she's, that he's been watching her and he's after her. We soon see that the killer is wearing a long cloak and a white mask known as the, the ghost face mask. Um, the killer, the caller, the caller, <laughs> what? The caller has her boyfriend tied up in the backyard and ends up killing him when Casey guesses scary movie trivia wrong. Then the killer takes down Casey too, killing her just as her parents are arriving at Which home. Which honestly is like it, still yes. is one of the, if not the most upsetting death scenes. Yes. In film canon, it's it's like that. Like I, I oh, really oh it makes me want to barf yeah, just I thinking about don't it. Don't like it. Um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about how <laughs> girl probably could have called nine one one like a little earlier on in that exchange, but she gets kind of wrapped up in it, and you know, it is what She's it is. She's super wrapped up in that like <laughs> turtleneck and that bob. <laughs> yes. Um, so literally 13 minutes into this movie, Drew Barrymore is dead. And I don't think, I mean, the power that that has. <laughs> the implications that has. So I don't know if you've ever like been to a video store where like they have the film like on DVD. Mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore is in the front of the cast. Yeah. Like she was billed as the star of this film. Yeah, no, I think that was... Well, that was the point. It was, like a, it, was like a, it was like a Janet Lee psycho moment where they were like, mm-hmm. let's cast someone who is super billable, super like people are going to come to the film to see her being the final girl and let's kill her. Well, in psycho, it's like killing the first third of the film and mm-hmm. scream is like, let's kill in the first 13 minutes. Yeah. Crazy. Amazing. So smart. And that kicks off the, the, Scream does this thing now where mm, it basically has the cold open, the, the the chilling open of like casting a really like big name actor and killing them off in the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. And then also, I mean, doubling down in the second movie with Sarah Michelle Gellar just biting the bullet halfway through the movie in a really tragic um, sorority showdown. But we're not here to talk about Scream 2. Maybe a later episode. Um, so Casey's been Casey and Steve have been killed. So the next day, the high school in this town of Woodsboro, California, is abuzz with the news that of Casey and Steve's death, and it especially affects another student named Sydney Prescott, who's obviously played by Nev Campbell. Um, Sydney's own mother had been raped and murdered the year before, but Sydney had identified the killer as this man named Cotton Weary, who's played by Leah Schreiber. Who has a larger role later on in the series? There's but a, not there's in this a movie. lot of details about this first film mm-hmm. that, at face value, looking at the film in general, yeah. are important and later become very convoluted. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's very weird that he just is not a figure in the film whatsoever. He is a literal cameo on a t- shot of a TV. Yes. Okay. Perfect. And you're like, oh, Ray Donovan. <laughs> so, um, the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> <laughs> a local reporter perfectly named Gail Weathers, who is played by Courtney Cox, is Wait, 
What? I've literally never thought about that. Her name? That a gale is like. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm literally not kidding you. Grant, they like make a comment about it in the movie. Which one? She's like, where she's like, she's like, I Gail Weathers sound like a weather woman or like a whatever. I've never, I've literally never thought about it. This is embarrassing. (laughs) This is super embarrassing, but we're going to keep it because. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, so much of this movie is self-referential. It is truly very lazy. And she is, in fact, wearing a neon lime green pantsuit for a skirt. Suit, Pant skirt suit for a lot of the first part of this movie. Ugh. Um, for all of them, yeah. So it turns beige at some point, right? So Gail Weathers is quick to try to scoop the story, paying particular attention to Sydney because the two already have a, this negative relationship after Gail published a book about Sydney's mother's murder, murder in Woodsboro. Mm-hmm. So we also meet a young police officer named Dewey, who's played by David Arquette, who is also on the case and starts to kind of take a liking to Gail. So we're, you know, we're setting the scene. Sydney's father leaves on a business trip that night or that morning. And her friends, uh, Tatum, who's played by Rose McGowan wants to keep Sydney company that night. But before she can arrive, Sydney receives a call of her own and is visited by the killer herself. She's able to fend him off, but is surprised to see her boyfriend, Billy, who is played by Skeet Ulrich arrive just as the killer disappears. Cell phone in tow. <laughs> what I think is a cell phone, lar- a, a, like I could be a landline. Like it's a large phone. But yeah, this is back in the day where like having a cell phone was incriminating. Mm-hmm. So she's initially suspicious. That's a good point, though. Like wh- no one is carrying a phone around with them in 1996. No, truly, that that is the literal point. Yeah. Where he gets arrested. Is they're right. like, you have a cell phone? <laughs> oh, you murderer! Well, okay, truly. Well, um. She's initially suspicious, and the police do arrest him, forcing him to spend the night in jail. But while he, thank you, while he is in custody, Sydney receives another threatening phone call. So this, oh, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm not going to drink this bottle on myself. So the implication is kind of that because she, like, gets a call while he's in jail, it couldn't be him. Mm-hmm. So Billy is released the next day um, and the suspicion has shifted to Sydney's father, Neil Prescott, as the calls from the killer have been traced to his phone. And they make this kind of like, they kind of like make this side comment of like, well, they could have like copied it or. Yeah, there's some technology, some like (laughs) mid 90s technology that's really doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of copying cell phones and. Calling 911 from your computer. From your your computer. Which, like, honestly. Resourceful. Iconic. Get it. (laughs) Let me call 911 right now from my computer. And by that, I mean my phone to get out of this conversation. Whereas, like, there's nowhere I'd rather be. Casey Becker is truly, like, holding a phone for the the entire time. That she is. That is, she is on screen and does not call 911. She says she's going to call 911 approximately. Like, literally, as her body's being dragged. Like she's like, hold it. Oh. Yeah, it's it really sucks. Um anyway, but also we're like gonna that haircut. <laughs> we're gonna get through this summary. Yeah, we were like tip of the iceberg. So 
school is suspended in the wake of the murders, and the students decide to have a party at Tatum's boyfriend's Stu's house, who is played by Matthew Lillard, a.k.a. Shaggy. Um, and after the students have left the school, Principal Henry, who is played by Henry Winkler, mm-hmm. is stabbed to death in his office by this mysterious killer. Also, Sydney like, has an, a run-in with the killer in the bathroom. The killer I... is in this movie. <laughs> so that but, scene yeah. makes literally no sense. No sense, right? So I know that Henry Winkler's death was added post-production. Oh. Because they were like... Not enough deaths. Well, more so that there was a long stretch mm-hmm. without enough deaths. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if that bathroom scene was also added because like she runs out and she's like, Ugh, and then it's like crossfades another scene. Like, why would you not why be like... Why did that happen? Yeah. Call the police. Call yeah. someone. Call your dad. Don't call your mom because she's dead, but... Right. Well, that's that. that is something that I noticed upon this rewatch is that the killer is in almost every scene of this movie, like Very truly, truly showing up everywhere, which in some ways makes it scarier. And in some ways makes it like almost more comedic where you're just like, do like, do not have anything better to do. Like, yeah, like the amount of times he tries to kill Sydney and like, doesn't even come close, but it is, I think it's really interesting that, um, I think in a lot of movies you would get, you would like really build up her Mm -hmm. encounter with the killer and have that come at the end and have all this suspense surrounding it. Whereas this movie, she's attacked within the first like like, 25 minutes of the movie. 18 times. Yeah. Where you think like when she, and that initial attack that we talked about before where Billy shows up, I love that scene where where you think like, you're like, Oh, she's just paranoid. Like nothing's going to happen yet. It's too early in the movie. He's fucking there. I love that scene so much. I mean, this obviously plays into the, where we're going to talk later about the representation of women, the yes. fact that she's like, she's not scared at all. And she's like, Oh, like what am I doing now? And she's like picking her nose and being like, Oh, you just expect me to like run up the stairs and like running out of the front door. Oh my God. We have, I mean, we're going to, we have to talk about Oh, uh, it's, Oh, I have, I'm going to have chills this entire episode. <laughs> I'm going to stop talking about how many times I have chills because yeah. I'm obsessed. Okay. So anyway, they're throwing a, they're throwing a party. They're sure throwing a party. Sydney Tatum, their friend Randy, who's played by Jamie Kennedy, and many other students flock to Stu's house for the party. Dewey and Gail also find themselves there with Gail looking for a story because she thinks that the killer is going to strike at this party and Dewey keeping an eye on the party in the wake of the town's curfew, which also like, if there, there's a curfew in the town because like child, like students are dying and there's a police officer literally at the scene of this party, why is he not being like, hey, break it up and go home? Okay, right. Um, so almost immediately, Tatum goes to the garage to get some oh. beer and she comes face to face with the killer. Um, as she tries to escape through a doggy door in the garage. She gets stuck and is crushed in the mechanics of the garage door by the killer is the best way that I could describe. I don't think there is a singular horror or other mm-hmm. film related death that I've been more confused about. How, like literally how does she die? Does she die because like the, that like breaks her neck? Does it break her? Does she get electrocuted? I mean, it's just, it's just not Why something. Why can she not shimmy her way out of that little doggy door? Well, I, you know that, that Rose McGowan was, was, too thin. She had to pretend that she was stuck in that door because she was like, I can easily get through this. Oh, really? Yeah. That's I like, I thought it was like big boobies. Oh no. That, that's a ma- main point in the IMDB trivia is that, uh, Rose McGowan didn't have any problem getting through that door. But I mean, I, I think the reality is that that just wouldn't kill you. Like, cause garage doors, like, I feel like if anything gets in the way of the mechanism, they just like stop. Well, 
circa Scream 4? I don't even remember that. What happens in, in the that opening one? sequence of Scream 4? I think it's Amy Teagarden who's trying to oh. get out and then it comes down. It, it, it comes down on her, but it like. Oh, Amy Teagarden. It like crushes her, but it, it goes back up. It's like a. It, oh, it's 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 subverting. Mm-hmm. Self-aware. Okay. Um, Billy then. Be, Billy. Billy. Okay. Billy. How you doing, princess? Billy then arrives at the party and he asks to speak to Sydney alone. He ends up assuring her of his innocence before they ultimately have sex for the first time. Which, like... Ugh. ugh we'll talk about it. I mean, like, I... I mean, don't get me wrong. I would fuck Skeet Ulrich, but not he, then. No, he looks so greasy in this movie. So greasy. Like, every, take a shower, he dude. Truly, like, every movie he's, like... I mean, every every scene of this movie, he's skulking in a corner. His, in, like, entire greasy bang is just, mm-hmm. like, hanging all over his face and he's just got on like a sweaty white t-shirt barf um especially in that blockbuster i know so meanwhile (laughs) yeah meanwhile gail and dewey are investigating the an abandoned car nearby and they soon realize that it's sydney's father's car and rush back to the house believing that he could be the killer who's coming for more students could you imagine like watching this film the first time being like oh my god it's the dad i was i was gonna say i remember Seeing this movie and truly having no idea who the killers oh, were really? going to be. Oh, I, I knew. Okay, well, let's let, let's I'm talk sorry. about that. Sorry, we do this so much. We're just going to... Okay. Many students um, from the party scatter upon learning of the death of their principal, but... It is very dark. They're like, let's go see him before they cut him down. Yeah, it's, it's like, not oh. great. Um, but Sydney, Billy, Stu, Randy, and Gil's cameraman, Kenny, all okay. stay behind. Ugh. After having sex, Sydney and Billy are attacked by the killer, and Billy is seemingly killed. Sydney escapes again and seeks help from cameraman Kenny, who also meets his demise at the hands of the killer. Gail finds the body and she tries to drive away in their van, but ends up crashing it. Dewey goes to investigate the house, but is stabbed in the back by the killer, and Sydney takes Dewey's gun. Fun fact he was supposed to die. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. So, in the original draft mm-hmm. and when you watch the film like after he gets stabbed in the back like when you see like them lying together like he's never moving like never breathing like yeah he was like fully on like they were gonna kill the character off uh-huh. and then like i think like last minute they shot the footage of him oh because because people just liked him probably like test audiences yeah okay so sydney runs into Randy and Stu, who are each accusing each other of being the killer. She then finds Billy, who is still alive despite his injuries, and she gives him the gun. But he quickly shoots Randy, revealing that he has faked his injuries and he's been the killer all along with Stu as his accomplice. Billy and Stu reveal their motive, or lack thereof, for the murder spree, revealing that they, not Cotton, had murdered Sydney's mother Maureen as she was having an affair with Billy's father, which drove Billy's mother away. Um, they plan to kill Sydney and frame her father for everything as they've taken him hostage. They begin to injure one another to make it look more plausible that they've put up a fight against the killer, but Stu starts to bleed out way too much. Gail is revealed to be alive and intervenes, and this allows Sydney to regain the upper hand, killing Stu iconically with a TV and ultimately killing Billy as well. Improvised line. Which one? Oh, oh, sorry. I know that he improvised the line like, I always had a thing for you, Sid. Oh, 
Uh, he's very good. He's really good. Yeah. Like scary good. Yeah. Um, Randy, Dewey, Sydney, and Gail are all injured but alive as the sun comes up over Woodsboro with the killers having been found. Ugh. So. Where to go from that? That's the movie in its perfect entirety. I don't think I have a single thing to say now in rewatching it than I did like 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. So you have nothing to say. You have nothing to say. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I, sorry. I more so mean that like. It hasn't like the feeling of watching it hasn't changed yes, for you since exactly. like your first interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like I, every time I watch it, I'm like, wow, fuck. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> wow, wow. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Where, where to begin? Cast. Cast. A plus. Very good. Like, this is the type of cast that dreams are made of, Mm -hmm. where every single character Mm -hmm. is stacked. And it's, like, retroactively good. Well, of course. (laughs) Where you're like, yeah, because like we were talking about at the time, it's like some of them were, you know, kind of known, but no one was huge. And now I think looking back on it, it's, like, crazy to see all these people in a film together, especially... Mm. For me, Courtney Cox is like a real highlight of this franchise because I'm oh. a I'm a huge Friends fan, and I'm I so love. Sorry. I know it's really too bad, but I love seeing her in a role that's so different from that. Well, this is my favorite role that yeah she will ever play because yeah. it is so. And I think that the reason that she took this role is because she was like, I want to play something that's the antithesis of Monica. Mm-hmm. To be like a total bitch, mm-hmm. but also like a really likable, relatable. Yeah. Oh, I think you, yeah, I think you really like her by the end. And Gail is a queen. Absolutely. Um, Despite her tiny, tiny bangs that will come later in the franchise. Oh. Yeah, we'll just, we're going to ignore Scream 3 <laughs> mm-hmm. if for nothing else than for her bangs. Right. Um, right. Yeah, like you got Drew, you got Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. in a great, great cameo. You yeah. got. Nev Campbell never been better. You got yeah. actors like Ski Ulrich and Matthew Lillard who are like around, but and are very good. Very good. Just like everyone is so good in their roles. James Kennedy. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot of like David Arquette's other roles per se. We'll talk about that more later. But right. yeah. Also so great. Yeah. Really, really fun. Um, yeah, it's for me, it's really good. I mean, we can talk about this later, but like the diversity in this cast is oh, z- literally zero. Yeah. There is truly nothing. Um, so I think like in that way, which mm-hmm. to play devil's advocate is yeah. actively addressed in the sequel. Yes. I, the, the opening yes. scene, the, yeah. like the Casey Becker version of mm-hmm. scream two is Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps in the opening scene. Yeah critiquing the film version of the events of Scream being like, oh yeah, that white lady, like don't do that. Right. Yeah. And then um, obviously like Elise Neal makes an appearance as, as Sydney's friend Hallie. And like, right. they, they do attempt to remedy the active faults, which I'm sure was, I would hope would be, have been a critique of this, the first film because right. the race aspect gets a true F. Yeah. There's nothing to go off of. Um, but yeah, I think in in all other respects, it's it's a really good cast, really classic. Yeah, A plus cast. Yeah, um, the representation of women. This is <laughs> this is like the gold mine. Yeah. Yes. Truly, 
so much to talk about when it comes to the representation of women in this film. Uh, but I think, I think a good way to get into that is we've hinted at the fact that this is a movie that obviously plays with a lot of horror film tropes um, in a very self-referential, very obvious way a lot of the time. Um, and I think the the role of of the woman and the and the role of the final girl in this movie is also goes hand in hand with all that stuff. So um, just really quickly, I want to bring up. So we have the the Randy character in mm-hmm. this movie who's played by Jamie Kennedy, who is really there to kind of like almost like point out all of the things that this movie is doing to comment on and uh, point out and subvert these tropes. And he has these like rules for surviving a horror movie, mm-hmm. which I think do play into the role of women a lot. Um, mainly with the rule of you can never have sex if you're going to survive a horror movie. So this goes back to the kind of like virginal female always being the one that Mm -hmm. makes it to the end of the movie. Um, You can never drink or do drugs, which again is like you have to be this like like pure pure and innocent in order to survive. And then the the one that's a little bit more of a a joke premise, but also is very true is to never ever say, I'll be right back. (laughs) Um, But then I also noted that right after that scene happens, Gail says, I'll be right back. And it's her cameraman that dies and she survives. Oh. So it's like this movie huh. is constantly being like, nope, we're going to flip it around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's never more true than with the representation of the females in this movie. Definitely. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about Sydney Prescott as our protagonist? I think that she... Ooh. <laughs> I don't want to get too declarative, but I think she might be the best representation of a final girl. Mm-hmm. That I can think of, yeah. In terms of that, she is smart. She's strong. She fights back, mm-hmm. and she's obviously she has her like faults and her flaws, and that she is seduced by yeah the man that ends up being the killer, right? But she has like no qualms, like really putting him down. Oh yeah, well that was that was something I definitely noticed again in rewatching this movie. Is like the women in this movie are really not only strong but like really brave Mm -hmm. i think not not necessarily the casey becker character i think that she plays into stereotypes much more whereas like well i think that's why they put her in a blonde wig it was like Mm -hmm. stereotypical like blonde Mm -hmm. like kind of dumb like Mm -hmm. going along like right whereas sydney and uh tatum and gail i think really don't fall into that and Sydney and and Tatum especially I feel like there are these scenes like the one we were talking about earlier where the earlier scene in the film where um the killer comes to Sydney's house in the evening and mm-hmm. um he said he's saying like oh you know I'm right outside like I'm on your front porch and she's like I'll call your bluff and mm-hmm. she just walk fucking walks mm-hmm. out there and I remember seeing that and being like oh my god like don't do that like he's gonna be there and but she's she like doesn't care and I think it's partially because she she thinks that like Billy is like playing a trick on her or yeah. Randy or is playing a trick on her and it ends up not being that but her just like standing out on that porch like picking her nose being like what am I doing right now if you can mm-hmm. see me what am I doing and it's like I love seeing her, them not be fucking scared. And then, like, the same thing with Tatum in the garage scene where, like, again, she thinks someone is, like, 
playing a trick on her for some mm-hmm. reason. But it manifests itself in her not like screaming and crying and like calling for help. It's just her fucking throwing bottles at him, like doing whatever she can to get away from him and to escape. And she yeah, doesn't end back. up doing that. But yeah, a really like unjust death in a film, I will say. I will would agree. I think that if you were going to kill Tatum in that scene, they went for this weird shock value. Like, let's just not stab someone to death. Let's do something more creative and right. just make any sense. It's really unjustifiable for her as yeah. a character and as her as a person. And right. Bleh. Yeah, no, I agree. It's It definitely was that they were trying to, like, do something Mix interesting it with Ooh. it. But we also should, should point out that the women at the end of this movie fucking win Mm -hmm. they're victorious there's no point in which a man has to come in and like and step in and save them yeah it's such a triumphant moment even though like (laughs) when the when billy and Stu have sydney like trapped in the kitchen and like gail is like i'm fucking alive bitches Mm -hmm. and like she she doesn't know exactly what she's doing yeah she doesn't know how to turn the safety off (laughs) but you know they figure it out and they you know, they survive and I think it's really triumphant in that moment. And obviously like they continue to survive. It's an aspect mm-hmm. of the franchise that through all four scream films, mm-hmm. Sydney and um, Gail are triumphant. Yeah. And they have a time and time again, they have a really interesting relationship because they are like two women pitted against each other mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, and you have Ooh, the scene kind of still have some adversarial moments, but totally, which is fine. And they should, um, you have the moment where where Sydney punches Gail in the face. Oh, I love that, moment. and it's great. Um, but I love, I really like that. It's not not that it's like petty bullshit that they have between them. Like it's serious stuff that they have between them, but that they're over, they're able to overcome that and kind of unite against definitely these men. So I mean, yeah, for me, it's it's really positive. The only thing that I think is unfortunate is the the sex scene with Sydney and Billy, which, but I think that also plays into yeah. the fact that this film is actively breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. And like, as you mentioned that in horror films, usually sex equals death. Right. So the fact that she has sex with Billy mm-hmm. and then doesn't die. Right. Is kind of the point. Of course. So, I'm, I, so I accept that as part of that. I accept it as well. I just don't like the fact that she is deceived into having sex with someone who raped and murdered her mother. Did he rape the mother? Or I think it was more so that... I feel like they said that. I thought the whole point was that the reason that Cotton Weary was... I don't think she was ever raped. I think Cotton Weary had had an affair with her, like had sex with her, left, and they came and killed her. Okay, that is, this is unclear to me. Yeah. Because they keep bringing up like her mom's like bad reputation and she's like such a slut. And mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if that was like that stuff really happened or there's these like rumors circulating about how her mother like slept with all these men. I My interpretation was that her mom did sleep around. Mm-hmm. And because that was labeled as a slut. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's definitely it's unclear. Like, and, like the, and the sequels make right. it even more convoluted, especially Scream 3. Right. Well, that's supposed to be the thing that like sets Billy off. But then again, yeah. he's saying he doesn't really have a motive. It, it Well, there's the continuity for, for continuity sakes. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, okay. So this is kind of a separate thing, but... Billy and Stu being the killers. Mm-hmm. 
to me, I know you said like you always, it didn't surprise you that that ended up being the case. I, I more so knew that Billy was going to be the killer. Mm-hmm. It was so, it was so obvious, like even to the point where like when he got like stabbed, quote unquote, yeah. like it was so obviously yeah. not getting stabbed. I feel like by that point, yes. But I think what they do kind of really brilliantly is they go so hard on Billy being the killer towards mm-hmm. the beginning of the movie that you're, you're trained. Yeah, you're thrown off. To, yeah, to be like, okay, well then like if we, we already did all that, mm-hmm. like they've cleared him, like yeah. we're moving on, like it's got to be something else. And th- the fact that that comes back, mm-hmm. I think is like super simple, but is a good twist. And perfect twist. Well, then also like, the simplicity, truly the simplicity of there just being two killers mm-hmm. is so obvious, so such a small thing, but it's like that is what makes it all work because it's like, okay, well, but couldn't have been Billy because like he called while he was in jail. It's like, okay, well, that one was Stu. And it's like, well, it couldn't have been Stu because like, you know, he was he was with us when this other person got killed. Yeah, I'm sure there's definitely some sort of way of breaking it down, especially with the weird like bathroom scene and mm-hmm. things of that sort where like I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't actually all add work, up, but right. um, were we talking about the representation of women? Mm-hmm. We were. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> the representation of women I think is fairly strong. positive and strong. Very strong. Yeah. Especially for a, especially for a horror film and especially for a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Slasher films are... And I love a good slasher film is are notorious for objectifying. Right. It's about it's about blood, but it's also about boobs and like blood and boobs at the same time. It's right. like this weird like catering to these like trolls that live in the basement and right. just like want to like mm-hmm. jerk off to boobs getting cut off. And it's it's right. I don't like it, and that's the kind of culture that I, I actually really hate about horror films. Right. Um, and like just seeing like a strong like just. Not only a strong woman, strong mm-hmm. women. Yes. Through, uh, honestly, the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. Whether they survive or not. Yeah. There's a lot of really, 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 really great women characters. Yeah. Female again, characters. again, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Ugh. I don't think we can stress enough. Cece Cooper. <laughs> yep. Um, we touched upon the, the fact that there's no... Not a single person of color. Literally no one in this movie. Um, there's also... I would say no queer representation. I mean, I'm sure someone has written a graduate thesis about the relationship between Billy and Stu. Okay, that's exactly what I was going to say. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a lot of evidence for it. In fact, there's potentially none. I mean, if you if you watch Scary Movie, mm-hmm. the film, they really lean into it. Well, you know, there's the metaphor of stabbing as mm-hmm. penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, I mean... The, I think the only scene that stands out to me is like the final scene with Sydney in the kitchen where they're like injuring each other. They're like very kind of close. There's a couple of shots of them just kind of like embracing in their. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's joy. Yeah. But also we can't stress enough that if they had just killed Sydney and then done the rest of the shit, like. <laughs> really yeah. would have all been fine. Like they just well, start well, that's stabbing so, each other. That's what's so clear is that it's right. they're going for the theatrics. They want an audience. <laughs> drama. Oh my god! Wow, this film is gayer than I realized. Yeah, they're monologuing. Um, and honestly, it, honestly, like I'm saying that's a joke, but that's like kind of a point. Where, yeah. Like 
you could totally put a queer lens on like their relationship and like the totally. way that they are going about these murders. Mm-hmm. And like there is that kind of homoerotic mm-hmm. stabbing, like, mm-hmm. oh. yeah. I mean, honestly, I see it. And I do think there's, I mean, there's, there's some kind of relationship with their, their relationship to their masculine identity mm-hmm. and maybe them like realizing things about themselves that are making them uncomfortable and deciding to take that out in this very violent way. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause it's also interesting that the people that they decide to kill are their current and past girlfriends. Mm. Because at first I was like, how does Casey Becker f- fit into this and then mm. there is that comment that like they dated for two seconds before she dumped him for Steve mm. and then they end up killing Stu's girlfriend and they want to kill Billy's girlfriend that is such a good point they're getting rid of all the women because they're in love with each other wow so Scream is a queer film wow representation <laughs> no but like that is really really interesting like mm-hmm. in terms of I think what, what makes the film really interesting is the fact that there's a motive and also lack of motive. Yes. And Stu is like, when she's like, Stu, what's your motive? She's like, peer pressure. Yeah. It's like. I've always liked that too. I love it. It's the fact that there is no motive mm-hmm. is so, so brilliant. Yeah. And so out of the, you know, I mean, most slasher films don't have motive. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like whatever. Right. right. Halloween. Friday the 13th, it's always like right. lumbering people in a mask, mm-hmm. chopping down teenagers yeah. who, for like whatever criteria of people who like to watch that. I mean, right. I love the Halloween films, don't get me wrong. Right. Um, yeah, like but who, it's like who you, would even watch that? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, who would ever even star in a musical version of Friday the 13th? Oh, my um, God. You guys, uh, we have to mention that Grant and I were once in a musical version of Friday the 13th which together. Which is... Quite, quite brilliant. Shout out. Very good. Um, but that there, there's a distinct difference between like putting a face on a killer. Yes. That isn't like a traditional like monster or serial killer. Like they're doing this because they're a psychopath. Like mm-hmm. that's obviously all, all inferred. Mm-hmm. But within like this, like such a brief. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, like what were we even talking about? We just keep coming back to like, oh, this movie's so good. Yeah, this episode is all about, like, mutual masturbation. Truly. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's... Much fashion? Yeah. There, there isn't much. It's a lot of sweaters. Yeah, and, I, like, I truly, like, I have... Like, flared out jeans. I think I'm focused so much more on other aspects of the movie that I I can't even, like... Besides Gail's neon lime green suit, I, mm-hmm. I can't really and those think highlights. of anything else. Yeah. I mean, poor... poor Whoever was in charge of Courtney Cox's hair mm-hmm. throughout the screams one through three, I would just like to talk. Yeah, choices were made. Choices were certainly made with those streaks in the first. Yeah. The red streaks with that oh my God. thoroughly modern Millie Bob in the second. Who could forget? And then really cherry on top of that cake were the um the bangs. bangs that were taken to her hair. In the third film, which I did to my mother's Barbies circa 1997, probably around the same time. Yeah. um, Because Mm -hmm. I wanted to give her a haircut. Yep. So what was happening there? I don't know how Courtney Cox deserved any of this. I'm sure she she was like, I'm putting that money in the bank. (laughs) She looks best, the best in this movie out of any film in the franchise, I would say. Is she in the fourth one? Mm -hmm. I don't remember. 
that one very well. Clearly. They're all in the. They're all in the. All four. Okay. Does she look good in that one? Yeah, it's does like she look, long. Does she look Cougar Town in that one? She looks Cougar Town. Okay. She looks really bored. Okay. <laughs> um, she looks like she's going through a divorce with David Arquette. <laughs> oh, we. I mean, and we've got to get into that. But before, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack in that. Before regard. we start on the, uh, where are they now? I did. I did note some like very fun. This, as we said, this movie is incredibly self-aware mm-hmm. and it is constantly like poking fun at its own genre. Um, a couple of things that I took note of were, I believe it's Tatum at one point when I think when, when they're at the blockbuster refers to something that's as a Wes Carpenter flick. Love that. <laughs> Which is just, just a little mashup of uh, John Carpenter and Wes Craven. Um, there's also <laughs> a moment where I believe she says like, what is this? I spit on your garage. <laughs> I love that line so much. It's it's so Kevin Williamson was really really like put, pulling his like yeah. A plus. Right. Okay, well why don't you Okay, so why don't you talk a little bit about the the team behind this movie? I would literally love nothing more. Okay, great. So, let's start with the writer. Mm-hmm. Kevin Williamson. So, he has gone on to like a real storied career. So despite, or despite, so including <laughs> writing Screams 1, 2, he not really was involved with 3, but also was very much involved with 4. Mm-hmm. He wrote, um, I know it last summer. Right. Yeah. He created Dawson's Creek. Uh, right, of course. We've talked about this. Um, and also went on to create a number of series, including the following Stalker, mm-hmm. The Vampire Diaries. Oh my God. And currently working on Tell Me a Story. Oh my God. Which is actually kind of doing well. Like, has had, I think, three, two or three seasons on Maybe. CBS All, All Access. CBS All Access, I don't believe that it exists. <laughs> Allegedly. I, um, did, I did not put together, I did not realize that he was Vampire Diaries as well. Man is oh, yeah. sitting on his money. Yeah, he's just lying in a pile of money. Yeah, m- making some good, good jish. Okay. So Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. So this film was his kind of like resurgence right. into the popular canon after creating such great films as, well, <laughs> great, let's great. <laughs> very well known, mm-hmm. controversial, iconic. iconic films such as Last House on the Left, mm-hmm. The Hills Have Eyes, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. The list literally, literally goes on and on. And they have that one scene with the janitor oh, where he's like dressed well, as well Freddy Krueger. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it is him. Yeah. Okay. That's that's Wes Craven. Okay. And he makes a cameo, I think, in every film he made or okay. most film. Great. So, uh, so Scream is kind of his like big resurgence into the popular canon, mm-hmm. as I literally just said. Let me just repeat myself. Um, so post Scream, he definitely was involved. He directed all four Scream films. Mm-hmm. He also did Music of the Heart, starring uh, Meryl Streep. Music of the Heart. You never see Music of the Heart. What the fuck is that? <laughs> it's a film. So let me. The IMDb description is the true story of a young teacher who fights against the Board of Education in her bid to teach underprivileged kids in Harlem school the beauty of music through the violin. Okay. Shit, you know. Okay. Apparently he only oh, made Scream 3 not. because he wanted to make that movie. It's like, did Meryl not win an Oscar for that? Like, I I, Yeah, it was 
largely ignored. Okay. Um, but yeah, honestly, post Scream, he really just did the Scream franchises. He did Red Eye, okay. which I really love, with mm-hmm. starring our golden girl, Rachel McAdams. Uh-huh. He did Cursed, starring Christina Ricci, which is apparently a hot mess. Um, unfortunately, he did pass away from cancer um, in 2015. So I know that there was an actively planned second trilogy starting with Scream 4. Was there? There was. Oh. Um, there have been rumors of a Scream 5. Mm. Who knows? According, the- to, according to IMDb, it's coming in 2021 and starring Nev Campbell. But Really? I Is this the kind of thing where you it. want the franchise to continue? Or do you wish that it had like it had gone out on a higher note? Here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. I think that the... Here's what I'll say. So the, obviously the first film critiques horror films. The second film critiques sequels. The right. third film critiques trilogies. The fourth film critiques remakes. Right. I'm honestly so devastated the fact that they made a Scream TV series. Yeah. That didn't... That did not incorporate the canon of the films. Because right. I think that was the next step. Like outside of films, remakes... Or sorry, films, sequels... Trilogies, remakes, right. next step is TV series, but they ignore the entire, it's just, it's Right, so it's like, it, I feel like it, like, they did, the TV series was, like, actually scary. I don't. I watched it. I didn't it really watch really, it. really, but, really bad. But it's like, it should have critiqued films that have been turned into TV Exactly. Series. And, yeah. like, what better way than to involving the entire cast? Right. Well, speaking of the cast, mm-hmm. interestingly enough, I will say, like, a lot of these actors are really, really relevant, but, like, don't do a whole lot outside of, this, like, I mean, that the Scream series. that doesn't surprise me. So, obviously, we have Nev Campbell. Yeah. Let's start Let's start big. So, she's continues to play Sydney Prescott through Screams 2 through 4. She's also been in films such as Wild Things, The Company, and most recently in Skyscraper, across from oh, The Rock. Oh, no, I forgot about that. Um, but she's also done a lot of TV work, including Mad Men, um, when the show was or sorry, when the films were being made, she was on Party Five, and she also had a very, very long arc on House of Cards. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, Courtney Cox continues oh. Screams 2 through 4. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you might know her from Monica from Friends. <laughs> she was on Cougar Town. She was. Which apparently people like a lot, so uh-huh. good for her. And she's still around. She's. They're doing a Friends reunion. Yeah. Which They're is, interviewing people. Yeah, I was like, let's be clear. It's not more episodes of the show. They're just going to sit on a couch and like talk about yeah. when they were on Friends together. Um. Then we obviously have her former husband, David Arquette, who yes. also continued on Screams 2 through 4. He was in films such as Never Been Kissed, Eight-Legged Freaks. <laughs> uh, a lot of like, I don't know. Yeah, I could, I could. He was in the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Oh, was he? Yeah, I mean, I tr- if you were like, I couldn't name something David Arquette was in that's not the Scream franchise. They did do a cute thing on, um, if you guys are, if my friends' heads are out there, uh, they did do a cute thing around like season, I think five or six is when they got married, where the episode after Courtney Cox and David Arquette had gotten married. They changed the opening credits of Friends so that every character, oh. their last oh, yeah, name I, was like, I do remember that. Had, was like hyphenated with that Arquette. Was, that was very cute. Pretty cute. Um, but um, yeah, it didn't work out. But I think they're, 
I, I was going to say I think they're friends, but I literally have no idea. Yeah, um, n- anyway. no clue. Um, Ski Ulrich mm-hmm. is actually like been working a, a lot. He's um, done Riverdale. He's currently actually leaving Riverdale, right? But has been playing Does Cole Sprouse's dad on Riverdale. To for, do? <laughs> I think he was probably fired. I think they're writing the character out. Okay, interesting. But he was also in the craft, <laughs> as we discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the TV show Jericho for a long time. And by that I mean like two or three seasons. So he, he's been around. Mm-hmm. Um, Rose McGowan was on Charmed um, and has obviously been m- more notably speaking up for the Me Too movement mm-hmm. and her unfortunate, like beyond unfortunate experience. Yeah. Um, having been sexually assaulted and yeah. kind of has become a voice of that movement. So, um, yeah. Kind of has put acting to the side. Uh, Matthew Lillard went on to star as Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo films. As I'm well sorry. As, like, I think you need to say that more like slowly and just like with a lot more power and fo- the force that it deserves. <laughs> Matthew Lillard has gone no, on. This is, not, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> Matthew Lillard has gone on to star as uh, Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo movies as well as really, really like a beautifully like, kind of heartbreaking turn in The Descendants starring George Clooney. I saw that movie, but I don't remember that. He's the, he's the guy that um, George Clooney's wife like cheats on with, and like he's married to Judy. It's like ho- horribly heartbreaking. Like, r- like nice acting. Um, Shaggy. And was on the Twin Peaks revival, and is more recently in the the mm-hmm. NBC show I currently adore, Good Girls. Oh, okay. So actually, I will say, according to IMDb, both David Arquette and Matthew Lillard are like one forty. IMDb credits. Like wow. crazy. Like a lot of voice work and mm-hmm. like guest TV right. spots. Like really like I mean again the pavement. I was very impressed by Matthew Lillard watching this again. He's really he's, I think he's a really good actor. Yeah, he's bringing a real chaotic energy mm-hmm. in oh, those last the couple of scenes. Really most chaotic. Like wow. you watch that and you were like what is going on with you? You're like, yeah, I believe that you uh, snapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Grant, would you <sighs> recommend this movie? <laughs> you know, I just like really could not it's recommend really this movie just... higher. <laughs> I think yeah. that this film was, the reason this film was so important to me was because as a lover of the horror genre, you get used to seeing bad movies. You get used mm-hmm. to seeing movies you're like, you like, but it's like, oh, like, it's so bad, but I love it. And this film came along in my youth. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, this is an objectively well done, well written, well shot, well mm-hmm. acted film. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are some problems with it. And there are a lot of sweaters. <laughs> but it's just, it's so enjoyable. And what also I think it does really well, it's, it's very violent. Yes. But it's not gratuitous. Mm-hmm. It's bloody, but it's not. In some weird, like the only, the old, like yeah. the only thing that gets me, I don't know if you, I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing, but one shot of um, Casey Becker on the tree. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's terrible. I was going to say the stew bleeding out gets me because he's like, he's in a like blood soaked sweater for oh, like, like six minutes being oh, yeah. like, you cut me deep, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Like my mom and dad are be so bad at me. Yeah, like I and I like know that it's corn syrup, but also he's just like drenched in it. Yeah, but he deserves it at that point. Yeah, yeah. I'm more so thinking like yeah, we've become so desensitized to films where it's like 
people got their heads cut off and like yeah. you can see the entrails and like especially like right after this film or at least you know the subsequent decade it became about torture porn and like how gross yes. could you do like you have films like Saw and Hostel where it's like let's take a blowtorch to someone's eye and let's yeah. see like cutting off a toe it's like it's like you don't need that no the film is simple it's <laughs> it's it's neon pink looking blood <laughs> on, on a on a white sweater <laughs> um but it just feels realistic in a very tasteful way. Yeah. But also hitting yeah. that kind of like adrenaline rush of a horror junkie by like wanting to see some violence and wanting to see some. Yeah. Like, but also is still beautifully campy in a yes. lot of ways. And like a kind of similar to what we talked about with Mean Girls. I think that I think actually a lot of young people would really enjoy this movie because it is so self-aware mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel as dated because agreed it's yeah it's you know it's always making fun of itself to a degree like it's well yeah it's critiquing the entirety of the horror genre right which is so yeah so brave and so <sighs> it's really well done and there and unfortunately there hasn't been a film i think like that since in the same way of right marrying well, that level of Horror and camp and comedy. I think like Cabin in the Woods. Oh, I love Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, same. I mean, our boy Joss, who also is not a perfect figure, but no, but did give me Buffy. So (laughs) I'm so glad he gave you (laughs) you and only you. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, obviously we could talk about this movie forever. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is probably a very um, jumbled kind of conversation. But this is this what is... happens when Bailey and I are both manic in how much <laughs> we love a film. Yeah. <laughs> very like different to when we're like, well, let's like analyze yeah. it. <laughs> um, but, you know, if, as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on this movie as well. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, Teen Spirit Pod, and you can email us at teenspiritpod at gmail.com. Um, we did want to say that next week we're going to be doing another fave of ours, which goes goes right back to um, some Lindsay Lohan canon, and I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little Freaky Friday. I truly cannot wait. I'm really excited about this. Uh, speaking of Jamie Lee Curtis and our favorite final girls, uh, <laughs> a real yeah, a, this is a real segue. a real career arc for her. <laughs> um. But yeah, again, thank you guys for listening uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Bye, bitches. bitches.